Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back. And Julie, it is almost, I cannot believe it, August 1st, July yes, 29th. It is. And uh, yeah, so we are in um, Napa, mm-hmm. California. That's right. I have to remind myself. Day 23. Day 23. You know, the funny thing is we've been staying at so many different hotels. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I'm going the right direction in one hotel because I'm remembering three hotels ago. I know. And it's like a left here, right there to get back to our room, but it's actually not at all. And so I find myself walking in circles yeah. a lot. I know. I often have... Uh, <laughs> I call them like uh, event hotel dreams because we've done so many events all over the country. Yeah. And I I remember a lot of, especially the big ones where you've got to remember what tower you're in yeah. and what end of the hallway you're in and which elevator to take because not all elevators go to where you're going. So yeah, I'm totally there with you with lots of hotels on you the know, brain. There's, there's somebody listening to us that thinks we're bragging about having stayed in a lot of hotels. <laughs> no. And the reality of it is, is we're not. Just feel sorry for us. <laughs> you should. Uh, because those are, I remember the big hotels we used to have to stay at in events in uh, Palm Desert. Yes, those and are those, the ones I'm thinking and of. And those were massive. It was like you were in a constant rat maze. It was, it was like a bad dream. It was. And <laughs> I, I have a recurring dream because one time we did an event there and I left my purse in the uh, bathroom. And I had gotten far enough away from that bathroom that I had to go through some kind of crazy hotel rat maze to find my way back. And lucky for me, it was still there. So, yeah, this stuff stays with you. It's yeah, weird. it's almost like you need to hire a Sherpa, you know? You do, <laughs> especially in our case. We'll have our stuff for our trip. Well, I mean, a Sherpa to basically lead you around these big campuses. But this place that we're staying now is very nice. Very nice, the Marriott. And, and uh, they can probably hear in our voice we're a little bit calmer than we were yesterday. Yeah. The hotel yesterday in that part of California, let's just forget it. Delete, no, delete, no delete. No bueno. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where we are now is very, very beautiful in Napa Valley. Is this, uh, You know, if you guys have never been here, which this is our first time here, it is pretty much exactly like what you think it's going to be. Hills, not big hills, but, you know, hills with lots and lots and lots of grapevines and vineyards. And we're hoping, to go, out, we're hoping to go out and explore for the ne- over the next few days. And then we're headed to San Francisco. And then mm-hmm. we're headed down to Monterey. Yep. And then um, we're going to be in uh, Carmel by the Sea, right? Mm-hmm. We're staying in the village, right? Yes. Okay, for mm-hmm. a week. Um, we'd love to see as many of you as possible. We appreciate all the messages we're getting on Instagram, by the way. Um, yeah, suggestions on places we might go. Some of you guys have given us some really great ideas that we've, uh, you know, pursued as far as places to stay or things not to do or places to avoid. <laughs> That's helpful too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't get off here on the freeway. Get off three exits later, and you're going to find a lot better. You know what have you? So those are all appreciated, and it's been an incredible cultural experience for us to see all these different parts of the world, most of which we've seen before. But since the last time Julie and I've been on the road. It's been a couple decades, really, and now to see how much things have changed, mostly for the better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's so. so cool to drive through some of these small towns. I mean, I certainly don't remember driving through them 20 years ago, but seeing these small towns, how they're all in various stages of, of revival, mm-hmm. right? It usually starts with a little cafe. It usually starts, you know, somebody yep. opening up a little art gallery or something like that. Things are looking up more than they're looking down, I would say. It goes back to the premise that you and I um, are holding true to, that there's going to be a continuation of mass migration out of the cities. Yes. If for no other reason than there's a lack of inventory, there is a historic shortage of housing. And I don't know if all of you knew this, but there's a 40-year horse historic shortage of housing. 
So I was, you know, basically 10 years old the last time there was this mm -hmm. lack of inventory. Um, and this is, it's going to continue. It's not going to, there's not going to all of a sudden be a surge of homes for sale. It's just not going to happen. So you're looking at the new paradigm in real estate, at least for the foreseeable future. Yes. And I can prove that because as you know, I watched the Austin inventory particularly seeing as how I'm licensed in Texas. And well, I, but I, but I Austin was, in particular, because it's yeah. a bellwether market. Yes, that's right. And so uh, people were getting really excited because the inventory climbed above 2,000 active listings in the greater Austin area. And it had been bubbling around uh, 1,500, 1,600. But here's, here's proof that when you get it more inventory, it's just going to sell. Okay, right. So three or four days ago, it was at 2,000, almost 2,100 active listings. Today it's thirteen hundred. Okay, <laughs> so yes, it climbed over for you know ninety days at least. It was around fifteen or sixteen hundred, and then it climbed up, and then it burned off, and now we're going to build it up again. Was that all listings, including lot listings and things of that nature? I probably. don't think lot. Well, it could probably has some lots. Right. I'd have to dig into the actual you know meat and potatoes what's of where. it. Right. Yeah, but things are definitely selling, and the average days in the market is still you know give or take around twenty. So for those of you who live in fear of more inventory, which you shouldn't because it's a good thing, given our current conditions, um, that's a great, you know, little micro example of if you list it, it will sell. So before we get back to the points we started mm -hmm. uh, the other day, yesterday, yes. um, you and I were having a discussion yesterday in the car for six hours <laughs> yeah. about essentially what's going to happen with buyer's agency. There's a lot mm -hmm. of talk about this um, essentially this uh, settlement that kind of got blown up between National Association of uh, Realtors and I think it was Department, DOJ, of, DO, yeah. Department of Justice. And long story short is there does seem to be some further, hypothetical further downward pressure on buyer's agent commissions. And what it, this is just all conjecture, but it does appear, we were listening to Rod Hahn's podcast, by the way. They were talking about this, and it was kind of interesting. Because most of, so he was, um, in the podcast, they were talking from a legal perspective what's most likely to happen as a result of this, uh, of this litigation. And it's all conjecture, guessing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and their theory, or at least Rob's theory, was there's going to be a uh, decoupling of the buyer's agent commission from the real estate transaction. And if you have a buyer's agent, then that buyer's agent commission is going to be paid directly by you or financed into the transaction. Yes, it could be argued that the deal that buyer's agent commissions have always been financed into the transaction, uh, but it's going to be more deliberate and more obvious. It's going to be something that buyer's agents will have to learn how to negotiate for and to, in essence, sell to the buyer why they should be paid a commission for helping them buy a house. Um, and that's his theory that that's what's going to happen as a result of this litigation, some sort of you know settlement down the road. I don't know if it's true or if it's false, but Julie and I have been seeing, and you guys are experiencing, uh, downward pressure on buyer's agent commissions. In many parts of the country, the commissions are half of, if not a quarter of what they were just a couple years ago. But what these guys on this podcast failed to uh, bring up, and what frankly most of the market's not really understanding, is this, the buyer agent commissions, the downward pressure on buyer agent commissions is just a, uh, essentially what happens in this really crazy seller's market. Um, and in a seller's market, you're going to have sellers that are going to be, you know, able to completely and totally uh, run the roost. Right now, you have sellers that are demanding all cash buyers, no finance contingencies. Now, all that stuff, all the extreme examples Julie and I give you are mostly on the really upper end and the meat and potato price ranges. You're still seeing inspections and things like that, but you're not necessarily seeing any unsatisfactory conditions as a result of the inspections because the sellers have multiple offers. But point being is that as, the, uh, as this litigation works its way through, it's entirely possible that what Julie and I have been foreshadowing for at least three years now on this podcast is going to play out not just because of market forces, but because of the law. Julie and I were guessing, really, 
that because of the essentially market forces would eventually uh, make it so that the buyer's agent commission, again, would have to be paid for overtly by the buyer. And there would have to be essentially, um, it would be a, a line item in the purchase contract um, that the financing would also include the paying of the buyer's agent commission, wherever that commission rate is. Now we were thinking the market would sort it out, but it does seem like if this, uh, if Rob's uh, you know, conjecture is correct, that the impetus is going to be on the government essentially forcing that to happen. Now, I don't know, again, if that's going to happen or if that's not going to happen, because ultimately market forces are leading things in that direction anyway. Now, when the market shifts back to, which is what we're talking about, and we talk about every day and we're not seeing any signs of it, any meaningful signs, when the market starts to slip back to a more balanced market, and Julie gave you guys the definition of that on the podcast, I think a few days ago, yes, into a buyer's market, which won't happen for years, then you're going to see, guess what? Buyer's agent commissions in most markets will start out pacing with listing agents are able to charge. Yeah, <laughs> I got- mean, the, you see it with builders, right? When the market's yep. hot, they say no commission for you, or they, right. or they tighten up and say- In some markets. In some markets, or they'll say, if you weren't accompanying your buyer, you don't get a commission. They, right. they up play hardball. They play hardball, right? Not all builders, so you have to know what you're dealing with. And then when the market slows down, what do they do? They say, bonus on top of your normal commission. If you get this in contract by Friday, you get an extra 1500 bucks or whatever it is. Julie and I joke about this because it really did happen that when we were driving from Las Vegas to Southern California, and this was probably in 2008, we passed in Victorville, mm-hmm. California, a billboard that was you could see for miles. Basically, it was a builder who had a, a bunch of unsold homes. You could see them from the freeway, whatever that road was called. What was that I road? It was a 15, I think. Who 10 knows? or 15, but yeah. they got caught in the market shift. Right. And the sign literally said, buy one house, get one for free. Yeah. And these were like, <laughs> I think around 400,000, give or take. Yeah. And they're, they're decent like sized houses. And that too. wasn't a joke. That was no. serious. Right. And so the point being is this is just the market, essentially pendulum swinging yes. from one extreme. And then eventually it'll go. I mean, I'm not sure. Again, I want to be really clear. I don't think that we're going to really experience a meaningful buyer's market on, on a grand scale anytime soon, three to five years, maybe even further. My Julie and I's, uh, you know, our uh, crystal ball gets a little right. murky beyond maybe 36 months. Yes. Uh, but, I have a little more proof for you. If you oh, yes. Segue. Please. Go okay, for it. So, for example, and, and this is something that we've been tracking, so you guys are not freaking out about this uh, reporting that you see here and there about the whole forbearance thing. This is hot off the presses. It says FHA introduces a simplified COVID-19 recovery, quote, waterfall. So what Mm. is that? The waterfall is basically how they put people through underwriting. So it says, as was alluded to in June, the FHA last week published a fully revised version of their waterfall loss mitigation options for borrowers coming to the end of their forbearance period. Now, why does this matter? This is something that FHA is getting in front of instead of the market saying, What are you going to do about this? Like the last time it shifted, right? So what are they doing? Well, in order to streamline the process, this is for people coming off of forbearance, the administration is scrapping their old waterfall framework and instead providing two options for servicers processing borrowers coming out of forbearance. First one is a COVID-19 recovery standalone, a partial claim for a borrower who can resume making payments on their mortgage but not get caught up on that chunk that they missed. We talked a little bit about this, this is on, really last, critical. on the last podcast. Yeah. And guys, a waterfall, just awesome. so you know, basically is so a borrower, a homeowner with a mortgage is having problems making their payment, right? So they're talking with the servicer who is the, you know, the Bank of America, the Wells Fargo or whatever. 
And those banks will have a waterfall. If you can just imagine a checklist or option. Option A is offer the borrower this. Option B is this. Option C is this. And that's basically, you can visualize that it's a waterfall. That's what Julie's describing. That's right. So when they talk about a partial claim, it's basically a subordinate lien mm -hmm. that, you know, let's say that you, you know, you had 18 months of forbearance, which some people are reaching at this point. And let's say that was 40 grand. You now can start making your payment, but you can't get that caught up. They're either going to put it on the back end of the loan. So let's just again, yeah. we're, we're some of our bar or some of our listeners are not understanding what you're saying. Right. So the big fear and the fear mongers, what they're trying to get you guys to believe is that when these folks come off forbearance, they're going to have to somehow write a check to make up for the missed payments. That's one of the lies that's basically, you know, uh, it's essentially I see that and read that in different websites and on Facebook and it's a lie and this is proof and this is what the government's saying so the government is telling the servicers how they're actually going to handle these borrowers there's not going to be a lump sum payment just to bring the mortgage current or they're going to go into foreclosure that's a lie be very clear about that absolutely and and again this is different because lenders are being very proactive about this right um, so the recovery standalone partial claim Offered to borrowers who can resume making their payments replaces the previous standalone partial claim. We won't get into the weeds on that. But their point is to, quote, quickly resolve the outstanding delinquency and arrearages through a zero interest subordinate loan. Seriously? Zero interest. That's crazy. Okay, so, that's very proactive. So let's define it. Yeah. So if you basically had a $3,000 a month house payment and you didn't make a house payment for, let's say, two years, you know, who knows? That's basically $36,000 times two. So let's just round it up and call it 80 grand. What they're saying is they're going to tack the 80 grand. So you're saying that they're going to have a zero interest loan on the 80 grand. Uh, it, on but, whatever the arrearages are. So is it going to be, ta is that going to be a, a current a current payment they're going to have to make? Or is it just going to go to the unpaid mortgage balance? I think balance? they're going to negotiate it on a case by case basis because this is an option for people. Ah. Okay, so this this is, you know, let's say that uh, when Actually, they, you know what? That yeah. is a good option because if yeah. you tack those missed payments on the back of the mortgage, then you're paying interest That's right. on the back of the mortgage. This is So this is one of the waterfall options. And it's trying to keep their payments down. Right, okay? but this also yeah. makes it so they can pay back those missed payments at zero interest versus tacking on the unpaid mortgage, which would, would accumulate to a lot of money and, in interest. And potentially even raise their payment. Yeah, okay. So this is a good thing. Uh, let's see. Uh, as here's a quote, uh, as Americans get back to work and our economy continues to recover, we're taking targeted steps to make sure homeowners impacted financially by COVID-19 have the support they need to remain in their homes. Again, there is absolutely no push for some kind of a uh, foreclosure crisis or something like that. Right. This, these are um, some kind of hybrid solutions, loan modification, um, putting it on the back end of the loan if you can afford it, or doing the subordinate 0% loan, which um, will have to be paid off in either a refinance or when you sell the house. But again, keep in mind that pretty much everybody has equity. After the last housing crash, uh, what happened? Julie, frankly, and I were celebrating every time we saw some kind of um, anti-capitalist, if you want to know the truth, system that was coming in place to help keep people in their houses at the end of the last housing crash. And we, we are, again, Julie and I are totally libertarian, but when we saw Obama administration putting more and more plans in place to help people keep their houses or at least give them an option for a graceful exit, uh, you know, honestly, we are celebrating all of them and we're equally celebrating all of these because honestly, what you're looking at and ultimately what you're looking at is you're looking at people with families, people who have equity in the homes, people who have, you know, for no fault of their own, probably there's going to be people gaming it, of course. But for the most part, you're looking at 
uh, the government doing, in my opinion, mm -hmm. the right thing. I now, agree. I know our yeah. friends who are on the extreme side of capitalism would say they didn't have the savings. They should have been able to make their payment. They this, the other thing. Well, guess what? The horse is long less or is a horse. Yeah. Horn had, <laughs> horse has long left the barn. Yeah. And the government is basically controlling housing. And this is an example where the government is in my opinion, trying to do the right thing. I think so too, especially because these are FHA loans and those have been determined by all the loss mitigators and economists to be the highest risk as a result of this whole COVID thing. Copy. So this is good. This is all good news. Uh, let's see. So rounding right. the bend, we can go back to our original topic. All right. Like. So our original topic is, we're and what did, what did about, we call this, by the way? Uh, we're talking about getting rich and what are your thoughts <laughs> are about it or not about it. And yesterday we tortured you with letters A through Okay, I, well, we made it through most of these. And the and, biggest, and we've, yeah, go the biggest takeaway from yesterday basically mm -hmm. was um, more of a mindset question yes. that all of you guys were hopefully challenging yourselves with. And if um, you didn't hear what we had to say, go back and listen to yesterday's podcast. Because really, in this day and age with the accessibility of information, you're listening to this podcast, you're associated, maybe you're a coaching client, you're around other people who have climbed up the mountain and are here to show you the way. We have thousands of coaching clients, tens of thousands of podcast listeners. You're, you're literally right now rubbing elbows, virtually obviously, with people that want to help you uh, go to the next level in your life. So point being is you have no excuse for lack of information. You can't say, I don't know how to do X. I can't, no. you can't say, I don't know how to build wealth. You can't say, I don't know how to save. You can't say, I don't know how to uh, become a listing agent or fill in the blank because all the information is at your fingertips. It's just a question at this point, why you're not actually embracing the opportunity that's in front of you. And that's a real hard question to ask yourself because it, re it requires you to take responsibility for not just asking yourself the question, but actually being honest with yourself about answering the question. You have to be accountable to your right. own thoughts. Because once you realize that you have, you're the one that's making a decision not to be rich. In other words, being rich is a choice and you're making a choice not to be rich. That kind of stings because you can't blame anything third. You can't blame any uh, external reasons for not, for not being, having more financial abundance in your life. And remember our definition of rich, which I, you know, Julie and I created for all of you guys, keep it really simple is where your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. That's right. And, and usually, so the next part of this is to be accountable to your answers from what we asked you yesterday. What are your beliefs about being rich? Do you believe that rich people are evil? Do you believe that in order to have something like money, you have to take it from somebody else? Do you believe that in order to be rich, you've got to sacrifice things like health, relationships, spirituality, or overall well-being? What are your answers? Okay. And when we say that we wrapped up yesterday by talking about accountability to your answers, what's the first thought that pops into your head? Are you dodging accountability? It's funny how everybody says they want it until they get it, and then sometimes they hide out. So here's the question. We, Tim just gave you the definition of rich, okay? What is your current definition of hey, rich? Julie, Are you adopting that? You owe the listeners $5 for every I'm okay. I'm not going to say I'm okay then. <laughs> I'll try to stop. But you owe them double for swear words. So I'm not swearing anymore, not Zoe, yet. especially with Zoe sitting uh -huh. six feet from me. So what right, is Zoe? She's saying exactly. yes. All right. So what is your definition of rich before we just uh, define that for you? Does it mean freedom? Is it some huge dollar amount? This is where people get stuck, Tim. Is it, you know, rich people own jets or lots of homes? The definition of rich is when your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. I'll give you an example. Coaching client that lives in Northern Virginia. Okay. She has all of her. I didn't say um. I only said okay. Oh. She, she has 
basically everything paid off. Yes, she's got property taxes because, you know, you pay off your house, still got to pay taxes. But other than utilities, insurance, and groceries and gas for a car, pretty much debt free. She also has 15 years of reserves. She has a couple of investment properties. She's with EXP and she is more than covering her monthly expenses. So she's done two things. She's paid stuff off and she's driven her different streams of income up at the same time. So there's a lot of things that people get tangled up in. Sometimes they think that in order for me to move the needle, I better, everybody says a million dollars. I gotta make a million dollars this year. No, you probably don't. That's why we have the treasure map where you figure out what you actually have to earn, what you actually owe, and then that leads you to setting some very specific financial goals. And so treasure map is the fill in the blank business plan. And the easiest, and the, basically the treasure map takes you through all the steps of figuring out where all your personal expenses are and your business expenses. Then it helps you drill down to what we call the magic number. And the magic number is the number of listings you need at all times listings guys to meet or exceed your financial uh, goals and expectations and your wants and your desires and julie just said it for the most part you're going to discover that most of you are going to be financially free in essence you're going to have enough money work uh coming in around five to seventy five hundred dollars a month most of you listening to this podcast would be rich by our definition if you had five to seventy five hundred coming in per month right that's true with most of you live on one of the coasts like where we are now, the you know multiply that by two or three x. But the reality of it is, is five thousand a month, sixty thousand a year for most of you is financially free. Why don't you have that be your north star? Why don't you have that be your prominent goal? Why don't you have be, that be the thing that drives you? Okay, so you've accepted that. Now the next question is, how are you going to do it? Yes. The how are you going to do it part starts with completing the real estate treasure map. So just text the word success to 47372, text the word success to 47372. And here's what we're going to give you a whole bunch of books, one of which is the real estate treasure map. And you're also going to be entitled to a coaching call with one of our new member coaches. So text the word success to 47372. And when you do, we're going to text you back a link where you can download all the books. And you also then will be entitled to a, co a coaching call with one of our new member coaches. But your goal should be to complete the real estate treasure map. If you've done it before six months from now or a year from now or a year ago, six months ago, uh, do it again because it's something that you should be updating all the time. And here's the nice thing about the treasure map. It lays out your exact plan, exactly what you should be doing every single day because it includes a daily schedule. It includes your daily minimum standards. It includes all the things that you really should know so you have a sense of direction in your life. Again, it goes back to the word we were talking about earlier, which is accountability. So just text the word success to 47372. That's right. So write down all of the things that you know you need to learn right now to get yourself into financial control. Things that you know that you don't know how to do yet. Maybe you know that you've got to become a more powerful listing agent. We talk about the magic number. That's part of your path to freedom. So for example, do you need to learn how to work with people that maybe are not your exact personality style or a different price range? Or maybe you need to move markets. Maybe you need to move brokers. Maybe you've got a list of stuff you've got to do. Let me ask you, you a You gotta question. get into control. As, as, you know, you're, uh, as people have claimed you'd be, or you know, giving you the title of the nation's number one coach, right? I hope to live up to that. Yeah, I know. That's <laughs> what other, yeah, I know. No pressure. So uh, just a question for you. Yes. Uh, if you had somebody who was brand new in real estate, mm -hmm. um, they just got their license, what would you tell them to do right away? You would tell List, them be a listing agent, right? If you had somebody yeah. that if you had somebody that was been in the business for a long time and had an ongoing business, 
uh, what would you tell them to do? Be an even better listing agent. If you had somebody that was a top producer and you want and they wanted to maintain, if not go to the next yes. level, what would you tell them to do? Lead with listings. If you had somebody that was basically running a big business or a big team, let's say, for example, but they finally had a coming to Jesus session with themselves with regards to their finances and they realized that their buyer agent side of their business wasn't profitable and the only profit they were making was off the listing side of the business, what would you tell them to do? Break up with the buyer side and pursue more listings. Right. And guys, this is going to be true, especially over the next three to five years. Your best, uh, the best opportunity in real estate is going to be being a listing agent. You will get buyer sides by accident to focus when you're a listing agent. Uh, you will have to beat the buyers off the stick, especially in this market. Now and you can be more particular when you generate, totally. you don't have to tolerate. So when you generate more listing action, you don't have to tolerate the frustrating side of the buyer side of, you know, the buyer business, which is you end up netting less almost every time and you have to put up with more stress. Remember, working with buyers is absolutely physical labor. Working with listings is mental labor in the sense that it does take more skill. But once you have that skill, it's much more freeing. It's, it's such a better lifestyle. It's a defensible skill. That's the difference. Yes. Once you know how to list houses, once you know what to say, how to say it, once you have a pre-listing pack, once you have a listing presentation, once you have essentially you become a listing agent and that's primarily what we focus on in our coaching program at that point it's defensible you don't have to worry about the ebbs and the flows in the market the interest rates going up the interest rates going down who the president is who the president isn't what housing policy comes around you know you don't have to worry about any of that crap because as a listing agent your future is predicated on frankly your skill set and also your willingness to stay drill down and doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level. Well, and don't forget the fact that there are sellers who have to sell. They are going to sell. You have a listing agreement with them. They're probably not going to ghost you the way buyers do. We are We are on, this is the thing that yeah. excites me the most yes. about housing. You mm -hmm. just said it. We are literally on uh, the, you know, I imagine a big, huge mountain. Like you and I are looking, I'm looking out the back window right yes. here of a hotel room. And I'm seeing it's not a mountain. It's more of a hill. And there's vineyards all the way up. Mm -hmm. I don't know how big that hill it's is. It's a vineyard hill. But it's big. You'd yeah. be tired by the time you walk to the top Definitely. of that. But we're we're on the very we're right down there in that, you know, base of the hill. And yes. this is where the market is. And that hill is just goes almost to the clouds. That's mm -hmm. really what's about to happen in housing. Because the biggest transference of real estate is about to start happening quickly because of baby boomers and because of the millennials needing housing. Our generation, Generation X, a lot of you guys are, kind of uh, Generation X, we're sort of like, you know, the market just sort of ignores yeah. us. But the baby boomers, there's, you know, three distinct waves of baby boomers. The oldest generation, in the, you know, they're going to start selling housing. They're going to start downsizing. And then all the other subsequent generations are going to start following suit. And then the millennials, of which there's more millennials than there are baby boomers, they're going to start purchasing housing. You're going to see more real estate transactions happen over the next really you know, obviously we are, again, our crystal ball only goes out a few years, but I, you're looking at essentially a 10 year trend at the very least. If you look at the ages of the people that we're talking about, you can see if your average millennial is uh, 33 or something, mm -hmm. you know, they're going to definitely be, they're in family formation stages, even if they're, you know, wanting to be, uh, live in cities and never get married and they're still going to want more housing. They're going to have more stuff. Absolutely. Pe people are going to, there's a big, huge transference of real estate in the United States, especially, but really globally, the, mostly in the United States, where, because there was a baby boom in the United States after World War II, 
that was not in other parts of the country and other parts of the world. But in the United States, you're going to start seeing more housing getting built, more demand for people to find uh, skilled listing agents and listing agents commissions on the um, when you're a skilled listing agent, when you can actually deliver a service to the here's proof that listing agents will never go away and buyer agents. You don't have the same level of security. The very fact that people are willing to pay 12 to 15 percent discount to use an iBuyer, yeah. people are willing to lose that amount of money, right? So as a listing agent, if you can show that potential seller how, and granted, it's a tiny, tiny microscopic part of the market that just does that does the iBuyer transactions. So don't be you know confused about that. But the point I'm trying to make is people will always be willing to pay a listing agent commission to a listing agent that is worth the commission. Yes. So if you're worried about value, right. If you're worried about being irrelevant in real estate, it's because you're on the buyer agent side of the transaction. That's where all the commission compression is going to happen on the listing agent side of the transaction. If you can go in there and comp competitively explain to that seller why you're worth what your commission rate is, why would the seller, what's the seller's alternative to list with somebody that's not as skilled and can't deliver the same level of results for them or sell it to an iBuyer and take a huge discount. There'll always be a um, ready market, especially when it comes to listing and selling homes uh, for listing agents that have a high level of skill who are professional. But I will say this, the nature of how the listing, uh, essentially you're going to see an evolution. In my opinion, you're going to see a real separation between the truly skilled, you know, ninja level, Jedi level listing agents in the masses. And you're going to see listing agents now because of this market, because they're smart enough to want to seize the opportunity that's ahead because they see the change in the demographics. They understand what we're saying intuitively and they're coming to understand it intellectually. You're going to see those agents are going to take their game to the next level. If you're a listing agent now and you're very successful, you need to assume that everything that you're doing is outdated and you need to essentially, um, you know, it, stop being complacent is what I'm trying to say. Upgrade everything that you're doing. Get ready for the biggest surge in demand for skilled listing agents than we've probably ever seen in the United States. How do I know this? Ready for this, guys? Because 40 years ago, there was a similar lack of homes for sale in the United States. And what followed that? Exactly what I'm describing. Mm -hmm. So guys, history in a lot of ways does repeat itself. If not repeating itself, it looks very uh, similar. It's a natural pendulum. We've seen it time and time again. The only question you've got to ask yourself is how will you participate in that swing? Are you going to be a powerful listing agent or a better listing agent than you are now? What are the skills that you need to get there? And what are you doing about it? And by the way, being a powerful listing agent, the discipline that's required to be a good listing agent is the same discipline that's required to build wealth and be rich. And these are the reasons that these True. thought processes go the same. When you discipline yourself to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level, when you keep to a schedule, when you essentially learn to basically follow a methodical approach to your listing business, you know, your real estate business, but primarily focusing on listing houses, that exact same discipline and skill set applies to building wealth and becoming rich. So here's the challenge I give for all of you. In the next two to three years, no matter what your age is, make it so you've accumulated enough wealth that you can check out if you choose to. <laughs> that you can go back to one of these communities that Julie and I've rolled through and you could just essentially be an artist if you choose to. Make it so in a very relatively short period of time, two to three years at the max, you've essentially created enough wealth for yourself. And that's what this market's giving you the opportunity to do if you're willing to do the work. That's right. But you've got to define what that is for you. Not everybody's numbers are the same. What does it mean to you? That's why we have the real estate treasure map. That's why we have Harris Rules. That's why I have a coaching program. 
And that's why we'd also like to be your sponsors at eXp. Yeah, well, I mean, being an eXp agent and understanding how to maximize the opportunities that uh, Glenn Sanford created with eXp, when you get it, when the light bulb goes off in your head, really being uh, focusing on revenue share and selling real estate, those two things in combination will get you to the end zone as financial freedom faster than certainly buying rental properties. Well, it's a profit accelerator, isn't it? Oh, my God. Well, it's it, it's a wealth. It, it's a wealth accelerator. The word accelerator yeah. does not really uh, I'm thinking of, express you know, it. adding flames to the grill type of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... If you want to get there faster, even doing the volume that you're doing, that's the move. Right. So if you guys are ready to uh, join EXP and you're looking for a sponsor that's going to be proactively involved in you uh, building revenue share and your success in real estate, please consider Julie and I. We are formally applying for the job of being your EXP sponsor. You, If you're ready to join and you're looking for a sponsor, just text me directly, 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. If you're EXP curious and you're thinking that this is probably the right move for you, do you just need more information? We've made it super easy for you. Just go to ylibertas.com or just text EXP to 47372. Text EXP to 47372 and we'll text you back a link to ylibertas.com. Watch the videos there at the top. Look at the information on the website. You know, and then when you're ready, let's talk about moving forward and you can join Julie and I at EXP. In the meantime, we're going to pick up where we left off today, tomorrow, on this topic. And uh, if you guys are in Napa, if you're around this area and you want to sit down and have a cup of coffee with us or give us some suggestions, please message us on Instagram. It's Tim and Julie Harris. Just message us on Instagram, Tim and Julie Harris. We certainly appreciate all the travel tips. I have to say your travel tips have made this trip extra special um, because we've learned so much more about your various communities. And, uh, you know, guys, I have to tell you, if you've not yet done something similar to what we're doing, and it is a luxury what we're doing, you know, we're not confused about that. But traveling around the country and seeing what a glorious, beautiful place that we live and how fortunate we are to be in this country. And Julie and I have done some traveling around the world. America, United States, we're very, very blessed. I hope despite all the political Mickey Mouse that's going on, you see it for what it is. We are in the right place at the right time. We are all blessed to be in this country. We're all blessed to have each other as fellow citizens. And really, if you want to take something away from today's podcast, I hope it's gratitude, a feeling of gratitude, because that's certainly how I feel after this trip. I mean, we're only halfway through. I know, for (laughs) sure. But it is great to get out and have that uh, feeling of gratitude. And it's very obvious when you get out of your own little microcosm. Absolutely. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.